0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Rez. I am your host, Daniel, and with me as always is my good friend Riley. Hey everyone. Uh, And this week is a very special episode because we're going to be talking about the hit HBO miniseries, Band of Brothers. Um, Going into this episode, we uh, again put up like a a pre-episode thread, um... Always looking for everybody's input on it. Um, hope that you guys have already seen the one for our last episode, Wargroove, uh, and making your making your voices heard about that.
1: Yep. And uh, we've already, at the time of this episode airing, put up the next pre-show thread for the next episode of Rez on our subreddit. That's rezcast.reddit.com. So... Once you've taken a listen to this episode, go ahead and go to the subreddit. Let us know what you think about what we'll be doing on the next episode, which we'll get to at the end of this one. So, what's Band of Brothers about? You might ask,
0: rhetorical listener to this podcast. Well, <laughs> I'm about to I'm about to <laughs> blow your mind. Let's hear it. Um, it's uh, I picked Band of Brothers because I've always uh really enjoyed the show. This was maybe I don't know, my fourth watch through or something like that. How m- mm-hmm. is this your second or third?
1: This is my third watch through of Panda Brothers. It's
0: it's just a classic. Um coming to, coming at you from the early two thousands, from the same people who produced Saving Private Ryan, Steven Spielberg, and Tom Hanks. Um It's uh, an even longer story about the invasion of Europe during World War II, um, following an even bigger group of men, aka the Band of Brothers. Um, This group of men was from Easy Company, which was part of the 101st Airborne Division. Um, And it follows the whole flow of their involvement in the war. from. They're training back in the States at Toccoa um, through to shipping out to Europe and landing in uh, uh, the UK, um, invading Normandy, going into the Netherlands, um, Bastogne and the Battle of the Bulge, and then even up to the very end after Germany's defeat uh, and the carving up of the former Third Reich. Um, massive cast of characters, all based on real people like, uh, um, uh, Lieutenant Winters, Nixon, Malarkey, Webster, Bull, all of whom, um, you follow, uh, through various, uh, little vignettes as they make their way across Europe. Um, it's uh, following an airborne uh group um which kind of they're kind of like the, the the elite uh best trained soldiers at least in the army at the time um so even though they're just regular dudes it's always really interesting to get to see like the hard work and dedication that goes into actually being like the top of the line um and even though they're really hot, they're really well trained, you still see the tragedy of some of the characters deaths, even the ones that that you don't necessarily see coming. Um, uh, yeah. So do you want to do you want to go through and, and give a little bit of an overview of, of how we get there from Tekoa all the way to to Austria? think that we should do that.
1: Uh, yeah, we could do that. I mean, this is a like you said, it's based on an actual group of people, right? It's based on Easy Company, which were real guys going from Toccoa to Britain to Normandy to Holland to France to Germany, like this this huge long series of engagements that they were in over the course of you know a few uh years if you count like their their training starting in like 1942 all the way up to the the end of the war in 1945 so um there's a lot of ground to cover there so i don't i don't know do you want to go like episode by episode and and just maybe talk about each one because there's 10 episodes in this mini series yeah um each one dealing with like a different engagement or a different time period in, in Easy Company's history. And as we maybe talk about them, I think the one of the startling realizations for me every time I watch this show is that mm-hmm. there are guys who are in this company who went through all of these events. Mm-hmm. Um, like guys who were at D-Day and who were at... at uh, and who were at Carentan and who were, you know, uh, in Germany like during the defeat of the Nazis and who found concentration camps and like single humans that lived through this entire experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So in some ways it might, I don't know, be easier to just go episode by episode and kind of take in how each of the characters maybe change over time.
0: Yeah, yeah, we can definitely try to to keep tabs on everybody. Um, there's the the original group of of characters are the ones who make it all the way through, like and actually hit every single engagement pretty much. Um, even the ones that get wounded, they always pretty much come back. Mm-hmm. Um, what did they call? What did they they usually refer to themselves as? The Takoa men, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, I. I don't even know. I I, I think that I could probably identify all of them. Um, Some early replacements might get me a little bit (laughs) confused um, because there were some people who came in right before Normandy. Mm -hmm. um, that I I always end up forgetting. But yeah, we can try to keep on on top of them.
1: But really, I mean, there's only a few, I think, super core characters, right? Mm -hmm. Like the main guy is... Richard winters who um, he's like a constant throughout all these episodes and it's it somewhat follows his military career trajectory um, yeah. going from a lieutenant who on d-day has to take over control of the battalion because his or of the, of the platoon I can't remember company it's the company the company yeah. yeah. He has to take control over the company on D-Day because the original officer who was in charge, his plane explodes and he dies. So it starts with this guy thrust basically into command that he's maybe not trained for 100% um, but like deals with pretty flawlessly according to the show mm-hmm. and then like follows his trajectory upward. Cause he only keeps excelling. Um, yeah. So he's basically like the main guy. And I would say like the rest of the characters are also all like growing and important, but there's just so many. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to I, keep I'd up t- with them all.
0: I, I feel like the, the, the second constant is, is kind of his best friend, um, uh, Lieutenant Nixon at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, who, Instead of being part of the the normal army group like Winters is, is kind of a, a, a an intelligence man mm-hmm. um, who still is like trained as a paratrooper and everything, but is is usually like finding out where enemy locations are and and what kind of uh, terrain you should be expecting based on this next set of engage- or next set of movements. Um, the next drops, mm-hmm. um, uh, but they both have very different experiences. Even though they both excel at what they do and they go up, um, it's. I, I think that it, it, they they both had different trajectories <laughs> through the story. Um, let's start with that uh, with the very beginning where they met actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Takoa is a, a hastily assembled. <laughs> training facility in ooh, Georgia Georgia I was I was about to say South Carolina so close almost um, set up to to get America or at least part of America ready for an invasion of Europe um, and that's where the 101st uh, train for um, the uh, trained to be paratroopers. Um, Easy company is, is one of the, the many companies in, uh, in the division who are, who are training and everything. Um, And Lieutenant Winters is just in charge of one of the platoons within that company. Um, He's not actually even in charge of the company. Like you were saying at the beginning, that is uh,
1: the charge of captain Sobel. Mm -hmm. Um who is he's v- played by yeah. uh, the same dude who does Ross in friends <laughs> yes. which is really cognitively dissonant for me <laughs> Yeah
0: I didn't even remember that he was the actor until after I watched friends and then came back for like my second or third
1: showing and I was like what? <laughs> yeah. yeah David Schwimmer as Ross has such like a strong impression in my head that i just can't take him out of of that context because i hate ross
0: oh good does that mean that you you equally hated sobel
1: they set you up to want to hate sobel or at least just like dislike him i don't know i kind of feel sorry for the guy oh i feel in a weird way He's
0: definitely he definitely got shafted, which we'll get to. But
1: I don't know if he even got shafted. I think things turned out for him exactly as they should have. I mean, for the sake of everybody else, yeah. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. he was their, uh, what would you call it, drill sergeant?
0: Yeah, he was the he was the company commander during the training at Tacoa and he was very strict. Um, so that's why we're, we're talking about like maybe people wouldn't like him um but in the end his uh his toughness on the men made them extremely potent soldiers mm-hmm. um, i was looking around uh, doing a little bit of background research and uh, it it seems as though many of the drills that he had them go through like um, training uh with, with a with, uh, like doing like field exercises where they're just like moving around as like a group and their uh, notoriously difficult uh, training regimen of running up Mount Kurahi in full pack made it so that way they actually were able to skip some of the assessments required to complete their uh, like paratrooper license or they have probably have a fancy military hmm. term for it mm-hmm. um, but he it was just, they were just very good. They ended up being yeah. very physically fit, very resilient, um and he was all in all of a, a good uh he was good at training the men, but he was ruthless and not super good at commanding the men. Yeah. So after all of the hardship at tacoa in episode 1 kind of culminates with hey, we uh we really appreciate your work, uh, Captain Sobel, but uh, uh, you, you should just keep training people.
1: Right, well, cause he was, he was training them and his, his stated goal at the beginning of the episode is, I'm gonna make Easy Company the finest company of soldiers in the whole army, you know, let alone 101st Airborne. Like, these are gonna be the best soldiers that I turn out here. And yeah. he he was their captain, and was going to be the one to lead them into war, the actual, like, battlefield. Um, But as you see in the episode, although he's a very good um, drill sergeant and, like, training officer, he's very bad when they go do actual, like, combat exercises. Um, Like, he's constantly getting lost... He's kind of inflexible when it comes to decision-making. He panics very easily. He makes big tactical blunders that would get people killed. Um, And so like, it's all of these things that everybody else sees and bubbles up the chain of command, I think, um, that gets him not demoted but sidetracked from going to the front lines. And they, they basically send him to England and say, like, well, we need you just training more people because you're very good at that. Which I think is totally yeah. appropriate. Um, but he himself, like, really wants to be out there getting the glory and the credit for, you know, how good of a, a company, easy company, turned out to be. Yeah. Um, I feel like
0: the show... Says that not in so many words, but like shows that the men ultimately become appreciative, not necessarily for for like the man, but for what they got out of the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really unfortunate that he wasn't a perfect commander. He was he was exactly what you would expect, specialized in training.
1: Yeah, and I think that like he never even when given the opportunity, like showed much in the way of like kindness or leadership to the men. Um, mm-hmm. So like, while, while throughout the series, they do, I think appreciate and reflect on their tacoa time as good, solid training. When they talk about Sobel and interact with him later on in the show, there's a definite resentment towards the man. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Not to mention Luz's uh, uh, impressions. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so they were at least able to laugh. Mm-hmm. Or even, like, at the very end of the show when Major Winter's mm-hmm. encounters then still Captain Sobel and, like, forces him to salute him. Oh, man. <sighs> Sorry, Jumping ahead
0: over to that, uh, I, I, it's definitely was a was a was a good moment. Like like, Mm -hmm. yay! We still hate Sobel. Yay! Everybody cheers. (laughs) Yay! Um, Why would he be there? Why was he there? I don't (laughs) know. What was he doing? I don't know, man. They were literally, and we'll discuss more about this. Uh, Obviously, spoiler alert, the Germans surrendered.
1: Uh, (laughs) Can you spoil the end of World War II?
0: uh, I already did. Good luck editing that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, And and Major Winters was was now in charge of the regiment. Um, And he was, like, overseeing the surrender of some Germans. And Captain Sobel just, like, is just walking by well, like he's he a got off a jeep that drove by point.
1: remember
2: yeah
0: yeah
1: so uh, maybe he was a supply officer for the airborne and that's why he was there i don't know
0: it, it just felt kind of it just felt like it this doesn't happen very often in the show but it was definitely one where i was like they just kind of made two paths go together that wouldn't have necessarily made any sense to go together so we get that moment.
1: Yeah. More of like I a character thing than a plot well, thing. I don't know. I wonder if it's historical or not. Yeah. Because that's, that's one of those things It's like there's a lot of dramatization that's going on in this series and it's hard to tell when things are being dramatized and when they're not. Like obviously if somebody dies or somebody like loses a limb you yeah. know that that's probably not dramatized factually because the person actually died or somebody actually did come back with their leg blown off but like the interactions between people who knows how much of that's apocryphal yeah but yeah anyway
0: after they they um make their way over and we kick out Sobel because yay, we hate Sobel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then like the longest wait of their lives starts. Mm-hmm. D-Day is a very particularly timed invasion. Yeah. Um, and the 101st Airborne's role in it isn't the same as the the soldiers in Saving Private Ryan who are like showing up on the beach and have to like go through that meat grinder like that horrible Mm. horrible experience there uh their, their experience is still pretty bad but what they were tasked with was actually landing the night before behind enemy lines to to disrupt supply lines and troop movements and and cut the germans in half so that way they can't um adequately defend against the beach invasions the following day. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is where we, we get to see like the first combat drop of easy company. Uh, And it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, I wondered if people who are seeing episode one who also saw saving private Ryan were kind of like anticipating the first combat drop at some point in the episode, and then they get to the end, and they're like, oh, that's next time. Yeah. Uh, And and that being kind of like a pleasant difference between the two. Like, we got to see a lot more preparation in this Mm -hmm. than Saving Private Ryan. Um, And then in episode two, you just bang. You get to see the chaos. Yeah.
1: Um, The opening scene is the drop. yep. Yep. Which is, it goes... Pretty wrong for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. I believe that there was a stat that like uh, 22 to 25 men died during this drop. Um, and 17 of them were in the new company commander's plane, including the new company commander, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Lieutenant Meehan. Um, and and that's because they get hit with flak. Whole thing goes up in flames. This is where just like it's it's loud. It's It's scary. Uh, now you've got this plane on fire going down and dude's like on fire falling out the back of it. This is no bueno. But yeah. then the rest of the company, they get down. Oh, well, and that's just and 25
1: guys out of Easy Company, right? Yes, yes, just out of Easy Company. Right, there's like lots of other companies being para-dropped in at the same time. And so it's like a whole field of airplanes all flying through this flak storm. Yeah. And catching fire and crashing into one another and men jumping out of planes, sometimes a little too late. Yeah. It's like a horrible scene. I think that
0: the the gnarliest part that like really showed me that, like, oh, still the same people who made saving private Ryan is uh one of the pilots takes Flack straight to the face. Oh yeah. Uh that was horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the chaos, they actually don't all land together
1: where they're supposed to, right? Right. Like, they're strewn all over the place. Because a lot of planes, I think, the plane that Winters on, is on included, like, the, I think that's the person, the pilot who gets hit with the flak is one of the pilots on Winter's plane. Yeah. And so the guy who's, the pilot who's still alive just goes ahead and hits the button to be like, okay, jump out. Because who knows when I'm going to, be hit by flak and die uh, yeah and so they jump out early like three or four miles away from the drop zone or no, mm-hmm. three or four minutes sorry of oh. fly time yeah. away from the drop zone is what the the person said in the show because they mm-hmm. i remember that exchange between the pilots they were like you know how much longer do we have to go he's like three minutes on our present heading and then Koomph. yeah it's like oh there's no way you can fly through this for three more minutes. So they just give them the green light, and they all jump out of the plane. Yeah.
0: And and then, like, in the middle of the night, Lieutenant Winters doesn't
1: even have his weapon. <laughs>
0: they, they're, <laughs> like, trying to, like, put the company back together, and they don't even know who's in charge.
1: Yeah. Because nobody knows if Mia made it or not. Yeah.
0: That was, that was a, a whole... A whole new experience i feel like mm-hmm. i don't even know how training could possibly get you ready for that kind of chaos
1: right well and doesn't he like meet up with somebody like the first person that winter sees on the ground is somebody not even from his company
0: yeah yeah he's just like some private from a a, a different a different regiment entirely yeah after they make it through the night, though, and they find the regimental, like temporary regimental headquarters, um, it becomes clear that that the Allies have their their stuff set up. Like they haven't, they round, they run into like some Germans in the night, and they they there's some like some squabbles and everything. But like they're they're established, but they're still pretty precarious. Um, they need to help with the beach landings by taking out uh a series of artillery pieces Mm -hmm. and then this is the first organized assault that we get to see in the show um this is when winters discovers that he's the ranking officer they don't have Meehan. he's mia right now um and he gets to show off uh his his
1: uh command skills
0: uh, yeah Yeah, and it seems to go well. At least the show shows it as going really well.
1: Yeah. Um, It goes well for him. Yeah. And, like, his his company, right? Um, Yeah. But I think it does contrast, like... So there's this setup that they've got where they're assaulting these three machine gunner nests that Mm -hmm. are entrenched, that are guarding the artillery pieces. And Mm -hmm. Winters is very methodical on how he assaults and like where he puts his guys and how he like forces people to retreat and retreats his own dudes. Um, So much. So I think at the end of the episode, they say that like his assault on the machine gun trench position is taught still at West Point. Yes. Yes.
0: I actually, yeah, I remember that.
1: Um, Which is super cool. Um, But then they contrast it to, I think some guys from like F company just literally running up, like, and trying to assault a machine gunner nest. And they they capture it, but they lose like four dudes in the process because it's just like these five guys that are like, woohoo, we're going into war. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oddly enough, uh, kind of in hindsight, and we'll talk about this a little bit, um, the commander was was Lieutenant Spears.
1: Yeah. Um, this is also the episode where the rumor about Spears begins. Mm-hmm. Yep which is kind of interesting. Um.
0: So Scattered, like kind of throughout this, we're we're treated to, uh, uh, or excuse me, we're able to see a little bit more of the men in the, in the company in action. We got to see some of them during training, but like we get to see how they interact with each other, how they work together during combat, um, and who seems to be good enough to survive and who is probably not going to make it yeah um we also uh get to see a little bit of the behind the scenes and that's what you were talking about with spears um uh and what's like happening to the captured german prisoners during this whole assault Mm -hmm. um i don't really know how how okay this is during war i think the show tries to make it seem as though it's not super okay Mm-hmm. Um, But this Lieutenant Spears that we're talking about probably um, most likely was basically just killing all of the Germans that he found. Like no prisoners. Yeah. Like the nothing.
1: POWs, the Germans that had already surrendered. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't remember if when they addressed that rumor in one of the flashbacks, if it showed somebody else who was with Spears actually pulling the trigger. And killing all yeah. the guys. I, I feel like they may allude to the fact that it could have been somebody else. Yeah. Um, but the point is, is that this whole mythos about Spears gets built up over the next like six episodes or so. Um, yeah. And anytime you ever hear about him, he's just like this cold hearted killing machine that like takes no prisoners mm-hmm. and is totally heartless and ruthless. And so they, they always like joke about, you know, don't accept a cigarette from Spears because yeah. if you do, he's going to kill you.
0: Yeah. It's because um, the rumor is that before he kills the Germans, he gives them all cigarettes.
1: Yeah. Um, and also, I think, in this point, I think is it Malarkey who meets mm. one of the Germans who's actually a kid from Eugene, Oregon, who was, like, born there, grew up there his whole life, and his parents were German... And whenever Mm -hmm. the war started, they, like, answered the call to war and went home and, you know, enlisted, and he enlisted as well. And so he's some kid from Eugene fighting for the Germans in World War II.
0: That was just devastating.
1: Yeah. Which... Go ahead. I was just going to say that, like, the show very quickly gets into how messy war actually is mm-hmm. and this is one of the things i really appreciate about it is it is not a an overtly patriotic go america type military uh, masturbation that yeah. a lot of war movies are it is very much uh a movie uh, or uh, a series about war itself and the fact that these people are American almost doesn't really matter in a patriotic sense. Yeah. Um, and
0: they do this by, I think what you're saying, like making a lot of very messy situations, including like is Spears just like killing Germans. Um, but I think they also do this by showing living Germans in, Mm -hmm. in many of the episodes. Um, some as like like happy villagers who are glad that the war is over and some as as uh um uh former soldiers who are surrendering at the very end of the series and and kind of still showing like a human side to them Mm -hmm. um i think that they do a very similar thing in a related series as well um but with a lot more brutality uh, and that's in the Pacific. I still have never
1: seen the Pacific.
0: I think uh, for, for listeners who don't know, um, Spielberg and and Tom Hanks made saving private Ryan. Mm -hmm. Then they made band of brothers. Mm -hmm. Then 10 years later, they made a, another 10 part miniseries, but this time about the war in the Pacific. It's called somewhat confusingly the Pacific. Uh huh. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and, and this, I think that this continues there. Um, okay. The only major difference being that, uh, the, uh, the heightened brutality of the fighting uh, shows through there, I think. Yeah.
1: Uh, Cause that theater of war was, I mean, the European theater was bad, but the Pacific theater was brutal.
0: Yeah. Um. So yeah. Anyway, um, we'll get we'll get to that one in next episode because that's the next
1: topic, right? Right. Huh. Winky wink, wink. Not gonna happen, pal. Oh darn. But yeah, it's it does show. I think how everybody's just trying their best. Yeah. To fight for their side, and it's tough and it's disgusting and people die randomly when you think they they shouldn't be dying. Right. Um, and some people are doing it for the right reason and some people are doing it for the wrong reason, no matter what the side.
0: Speaking of, um, thinking about episode three, which kind of, uh, um, picks up after episode two in the successful assault by Lieutenant Winters, mm-hmm. we get uh, potentially one of the most tragic uh, uh, subplots, uh, depending on your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and in episode three, we follow a, a different, a different soldier than Lieutenant Winters. We follow uh private Blythe. Yeah. Um, he's very different than Winters. Obviously he's not in command of the company. He's, just a private um but he's also not he, he doesn't really want to be there like he really really has uh uh issues like getting himself to um i'm trying to i'm trying really really hard to say that he to not say that he was cowardly but i can't really think of any other way to say it other than that um he he, he was just very scared
1: yeah very very scared I think at one point Spears stops by his foxhole to talk to him and he says something along the lines of like Blythe you know the mistake you're making is that you still have hope yeah you need to accept the fact that you're already dead and just act and every you know every moment that you're not actually killed you're just lucky Um, yeah which is kind of interesting Um,
0: because I, I feel like the first time I saw this show, I would have expected Spears to not make it through, even though he does, because yeah. of this very like thing that he says to Blythe in this episode, and even some other episodes where he's just stone cold, like, I've given up on, on the prospect that I'm going to make it home, so mm-hmm. I'm going to be brutal to my enemy because they're not going to pull any punches for me. Uh-huh. And eventually, Blythe, throughout episode three, I think, learns this, or at least, like, starts getting there. And he he, he becomes a better soldier because of it. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see this very visually. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of times where he's, especially during the battle that happens in episode three, um, where he's, like, in a foxhole, bullets whizzing by... And he's just like not able to get himself up over the edge to shoot, mm-hmm. um, and and he just like has like a, a mental breakdown. Winters comes and inspires him, um, and he, he he makes it out. He he kind of like he gains the courage that he that he was missing, and and he actually does some good during the battle. Uh, and then afterwards, he happens upon. Uh, one of the bodies or excuse me a body of one of the soldiers that he killed and he has pinned to his lapel the soldier who was killed a tiny white flower a flower of the edelweiss um, which was a symbol to the germans of a true soldier Mm -hmm. like a uh, a son of germany Mm Mm-hmm. And after all of this struggle that Blythe has with, with kind of squaring away with his mortality uh, and the job that he has to do, he then picks up the Edelweiss as kind of a trophy or at least like of a symbol of, of what he's gained during this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that, that was that was really cute.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was cool because they allude to it in the very very opening of the episode in a way that is almost like a little too like, Hey, what's that flower that guy's wearing? Oh yeah. That's an edelweiss. It means you're a real badass. And then it's like, (laughs) end scene. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's Um, not for
0: you, Blythe. Don't even think about touching that. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Um, But something that's interesting in that episode and, and this happens in a lot of episodes where they follow one specific kind of minor character to mm-hmm. the plot of like Winter's experience in, in war. Um, they follow Blythe and through him and his reaction to war, they examine other people's thoughts about war. So one of those is like Spears and his attitude on you're already dead. You might as well just act like it. Um, Yeah, like ranging from that end all the way back to like Winters himself, who just shows up in the middle of a firefight next to Bly's foxhole and yells at him, you know, get up, get up and start shooting like and he's standing there. He's actually standing outside of the foxhole shooting at the enemy with no cover whatsoever like just showcasing bravery and being a demonstration to, to Blythe and I think his it's kind of a theme throughout that episode that like his leadership is the only mm-hmm. thing that's able to snap Blythe out of his hysteria and get him to have the courage uh yeah. to fight because and it might be this episode too where they talk about fear being like poison um yeah and how like you can't let that spread to the other men like you have to show courage and you have to have leadership and you like even though what we're going through is horrible mm-hmm. you know if you ever show any signs of cracking then everybody could crack
0: yeah it it, it almost becomes throughout the series winters is uh, his blue eyes white dragon <laughs> <laughs> anytime that he's like I really need to win this Uh, Mm -hmm. he basically just like demonstrates it with with like his whole body like Mm -hmm. I'm not just gonna tell you to be brave here Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just throw myself at the enemy Mm -hmm. uh, so that way you can see like exactly what you're supposed to be doing too yeah I almost wonder though kind of thinking about it slightly critically was that a good idea (laughs) <laughs> isn't the know. isn't isn't the downside if he like gets nailed in the face like in front of all of his men that they then go like, "Oh, let's not do that." Yeah. And then it the, just like ends the engagement.
1: Maybe. I think it's a high risk, high reward leadership yeah. strategy to yeah. showcase the kind of behavior you want other people to take. Because that behavior itself comes with exceptional risk, right? Like, yeah. nobody in World War two was fighting in a safe way, except for maybe Dyke, but. Oh my god. We can talk about Dyke. him later. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think another thing that happens in this episode is the. In the actual siege on Carantan, the iconic shot from this episode. And probably from the whole series, right, that has been turned into so many like military quote, you know, backgrounds of war does not determine who is right, only who is left, uh, is of this German soldier stumbling out of a half ruined building. And I think it's Spears just standing there, pistol drawn, and shoots this guy right in the chest. It was a fantastic like, shot. Yeah. Not,
0: not the gun. I mean, like, the camera shot.
1: The, yeah, the, right. the camera shot. And it's it was so very powerful because this is... And it happens other times in the series. One of those times where, like, you see that this dude has just been caught with his pants down. He's unarmored. He's stumbling around. And he only has, like, a moment before he looks up and realizes he's dead. Yeah. Before he just gets shot.
0: There were a lot of times where... Where maybe in a quote, civilized war, you would have thought that they wouldn't shoot this guy. But it seems that the rules of engagement in World War II were, you shoot people unless you know that they're not a threat, right? Yeah, yeah. It was a total war situation. Hmm. Um, I feel like another really iconic thing from uh, the, the Battle of Caratan... Um is when the Germans start to flee the the city and as they're going out they're calling in artillery on their own positions to try mm-hmm. to hit the Americans. And so this is when just people start getting hit. Um Lipton actually gets hit mm-hmm. pretty bad, but but he manages to to survive because it didn't explode on him. Yeah. But there's this one dude in a house where it does explode on him, oh, and yeah. this is again one of like uh, the 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 grittiest, goriest parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see, like for the first time, um, some of the uh, production design around the wounds. Yeah, um,
1: it's pretty graphic.
0: He. He, it, it was i think one of the first times where we saw a character have to just like tell somebody that they're going to be okay while they're actually dying and they're there's yeah. no way that they're surviving this yeah and that was Liebgott, i think holding him right uh-huh yeah Liebgott gets a gets a quite a journey along with malarkey throughout this whole series i feel like
2: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah it, I, it was a good episode for a lot of those reasons I felt like it, yeah. it was it was the brutality aspect, the um different the different perspectives on what war should be like you're talking mm-hmm. about that Blythe gets to see um, yeah. and some all around really good battles. we got keratan and then we also got the the one at the end that I don't really think it's named. it's just like field field a yeah <laughs> <laughs> whatever
1: it's called uh, yeah they well so easy company takes Karentan and then they try to circle around outside of the town to mm-hmm. cut off the road and ambush any Germans who are going to be like reinforcing the position or attempting to reinforce the position um, mm. and then while they're doing this maneuver they get ambushed and taken okay, by surprise yeah. Um, so they're they're fighting south of Carantan, um but it really is a great episode and is i think very important for the series because the first episode is kind of like a training montage and the the bonds are getting formed and the pieces are getting put in place and then the second episode is like okay you know it's very clear like this is d-day we're in the war uh things aren't quite going to plan yet, but like we know who the bad guys are and we're going to go and we're going to get them. And then this third episode, I think sets the tone for the rest of the series in that it, it showcases how truly messy, unpredictable, kind of ethically ambiguous. A lot of these decisions that are being made really are and how like the people that you think are going to survive this war are not guaranteed to survive this war yeah um it i think it does a really good job of setting up the rest of the the series. yeah because um, like Blythe himself ends up dying at the end of this episode
0: yeah um that that is the the ultimate tragedy i feel like of his character or really of his person because of course he was a real person mm-hmm. um we get to we get to see somebody who who knows the the mortal danger He's terrified, gains some courage, but ultimately it, he he does not make it. Yeah. Um, not during the Battle of Karatan, but some months later, he volunteers to go with a group to check out some place that they suspect might be filled with hostiles, and immediately takes a shot to the neck. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like that was the capstone to... A really good powerful episode to me mm-hmm. um i do want to throw out there do you remember the text at the end when it talks about what happens to blythe
1: yeah D- how did he it like say survived that- until 1948 and then died of his wounds
0: yes i i need to verify this but i'll link it in the show notes if this is true i think they got his date of death wrong oh really yeah he, he only lived in, he, until like maybe the 50s or 60s or something Oh, so there was still complications with, with the wound that he sustains but mm-hmm. I think it was a it, little longer it, than that yeah and it was just kind of weird because almost huh. everything else felt like it was right I'll have to double check that though
1: yeah there's a few times in this show where they're just kind of wrong about dates yeah <laughs> uh, but that's usually it's only for dramatic reasons yeah. that one's a weird one to get wrong if they did yeah
0: um
1: so yeah after after
0: Blythe's story we we get to pivot again um, yeah. as Easy Company uh makes their way to the next part of the invasion um for episode 4 we follow one of the sergeants uh, uh Bull Randleman Bull mm-hmm. Randleman He's from Arkansas. Yeah! Um, yeah, Florida. Fly, wave the flags! Yay! <laughs> um, we got we got to we did it, guys. We got them to say Arkansas twice in a ten-hour miniseries. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> it's
1: more than um, most states.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and the 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 big picture for episode four was Operation Market Garden, right? Mm-hmm. Um. This was, uh, the British's, uh, the British's, <laughs> um, the UK's attempt to be relevant in World War II at this time, uh, basically.
2: Hey,
1: um, I would not, I wouldn't play it out like that. They had been in World War II for like three or four years before yeah, this point. Yeah,
0: yeah, hey, You're probably right. Long I mean, before okay.
1: America. Like, this was just one of their special operations where they were going to, like a Normandy-style invasion, basically swoop into Holland, mm-hmm. surprise the Germans that were there, kick them out, and then use that as a staging ground to launch an invasion of Germany.
0: Yeah. That fun was fact. the plan. Yeah, fun fact. The Netherlands is right next to Germany. That I guess that's why they did it, I, I yeah. guess.
2: Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. And so, uh, again, paratroop in. Um, They take the major cities that they're going after pretty easily, like weirdly easily, uh, at least the contingent that Easy Company is with. So get to see a bunch of Dutch people waving orange flags, going, yay! Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of celebrating their liberation. Um, The big picture is that they, they wanted to do more than just save the Dutch. They wanted to encircle a bunch of retreating Germans and, and do a lot more damage than they end up actually being able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but easy takes Eindhoven pretty well. Um, there's this really weird scene when they're with all of the Dutch. Yeah. Where sure. They're really celebrating like everything going well, but again, back to this, like, like, uh, this fogginess of real war there were losers even among the Dutch uh, whenever the Americans invaded Mm -hmm. Um, not everybody was was operating on the side of the Dutch during the German occupation Um, and we get to see the the uh, um, effects of this as the crowds who are celebrating are also finding collaborators or suspected collaborators um during the german occupation and it seems for the men they're shooting them although we don't see this on screen yeah but for the women who were collaborating they were being publicly humiliated and and
1: uh like they like shaved their heads and they like yeah. put ashes of swastikas on their forehead and and this is it, all like done in such a way that it kind of catches you off guard as a viewer in the same way that it catches the Americans off guard who are just showing up. It's like the, the main contact of the Dutch resistance is like, Oh yeah, don't worry about those guys. Those are traitors. And you're like, but are, are they, they seem just
0: like normal people.
1: Yeah. Like I was weird. I was very suspicious of that guy and he like never says anything wrong. Um, Mm hmm so there's like not really a really reason to be suspicious of him, but yeah, it's just another one of those like this is this doesn't feel right.
0: It's 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 just a, a painful reminder that, um, at least at some points in history, you had to be really harsh with like purging the the former power, mm-hmm. like out. You have to like kill people. Yeah. After you take over.
1: Yeah. Um, well, and the line that the the guy from the Dutch resistance says that did give me some empathy for him was he had been fighting for five years, this yeah. German presence. And, like, these Americans have just shown up there on this day and it would be very easy to look at this and go, this is wrong. Don't do this. But yeah. as a person who's been oppressed and maybe, like, had people in his own life killed or you know otherwise disrupted like Mm -hmm. after five years of of oppression finally being liberated like who knows what his miniseries is like (laughs) yeah Jeez. exactly yeah so after they go into eindhoven and everything's like fine they continue pressing their advance onto a town called neunen and this is where things go horribly wrong
0: yeah this is the first um, major combat of this episode, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The column uh, uh, for the regiment is, like, kind of approaching Noinen when they start to come under fire. Mm-hmm. Um, a pretty, you know, uh, picturesque moment, actually. The lieutenant going way out where he wasn't <laughs> supposed to go. Yeah. Bull, the character that we're following, going, Lieutenant, get down! <laughs> and, and he... <laughs> And he gets shot in the neck. Uh, oh yeah, pretty pretty f-ing gruesome. But I mean, uh, you you could see it coming. Yeah. Um, what I didn't see coming about that exchange, I think maybe the first time I saw it was, of course, a medic gets out there, and like people mm-hmm. start scrambling to try to like take cover and like retaliate mm-hmm. and stuff. But then the medic goes down too. Like yeah. that was
1: brutal. Yeah. I think up until this point, they hadn't really shown any medics being hurt. Yeah. I think like even specifically they call out whenever like a guy is running around in the battlefield not getting shot at, they're like, Oh, they think he's a medic.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but it seems, it seems like even a, in that short time, like the attitude has changed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That depending on what everybody's expectations were, that must that might have been like, Holy crap. This yeah. is this is really bad. They must be really desperate.
1: Yeah. Is that who gets shot? Is that Buck?
0: No, uh, he eventually gets shot. Um, yeah, I remember That's the lieutenant nice. that goes down. I don't even think we knew his name.
1: Okay, not super important.
0: Yeah, that is one thing about the show, uh, listener. That um, sure you can expect like some churn with the the regular troops, um, but th- there is also like just a lot a lot of lieutenants. Yeah, <laughs> they they seem to just they seem to drop. Um, and some of them are are like weirdly famous actors. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that that stands out to me is that later on in like the second half of the series or so, we get um, the same actor who is uh, Captain Apollo from Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. So that was weird for me, because um, I was like, "What are you? What are you doing? Get in your Raptor." <laughs> um, but yeah, so this lieutenant goes down. We're gonna have to replace him later. Yeah, and and all hell breaks loose. The men storm the town, start setting up positions. Um,
1: well, the German tanks catch them by surprise. Yeah, they like. Yeah. There's this whole exchange between the American who sees the tanks around the corner and the British tank driver. And the American runs up. He's like, "Just shoot through the corner of that building, and you will hit that tank." And he's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to... My orders are like to not destroy any property unnecessarily. He's like, you're driving straight into a trap. (laughs) And then they do. They just drive straight into the trap.
0: Yeah, I didn't didn't necessarily understand that battle plan. Um, Yeah. And after the Panzers kind of make themselves known and they just start just blowing up everybody, um, Mm -hmm. we get... A, uh, we, we then realize why we're following Bull Randleman um, mm-hmm. as he gets separated from his, his team and takes some shrapnel in the shoulder and has to kind of like crawl away um, away from the retreat or the retreating Americans. Yeah. Um, and as everybody gets out they realize that uh, Bull's not with them. And so... It becomes very interesting he hides uh and all through the night we see that germans are just kind of all around him in neunen
2: mm-hmm.
0: um eventually he he finds a opening where he can get out of his like kind of temporary hiding spot and makes his way to a barn um and he's just like i guess i, I just gotta survive here i gotta get the shrapnel out of my shoulder i've got to make sure nobody finds me and then eventually i know my way back to where my company should be so his plan is survive the night and then sneak out when you can Mm -hmm. and he in the barn gets found by some a dutch man and his daughter very serendipitous uh they don't know English, unlike the cool Dutch people in this episode. Um, <laughs> they become mild celebrities to some of Easy company. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he painfully gets this guy to get the shrapnel out of his shoulder, which is super important. Um, and during this process, there's a lot of blood, they sop it up with like a, a, a neckerchief that Bull has with him. But then disaster strikes, and a group of Germans happen upon uh, the barn that Bull is hiding in. Now he's able to keep the Dutch and the Dutchman and his daughter hidden during this whole time, which I was slightly confused by. I don't know what the expectation was for the Dutchman. Was he just uh-huh. afraid of the Germans or? Were they just going to start shooting Dutch people on sight for some reason? I didn't really understand why Bull had to hide them. Don't know. But he hides them. And most of the Germans leave. But one of them notices the neckerchief um, and starts to investigate the barn. And this is where the really freaking cool hand-to-hand scene with Bull comes into play. Mm -hmm. Um He reveals himself under the cover of a overhead airplane. So he's able to try and take this German guy out without being heard, being detected. Um, And they spar with their bayoneted um, rifles. But ultimately, Bull is just a total badass uh, and takes him down. It was really, it was cool to see them fighting and everything. But it was also like, really frantic really hectic really like yeah uh, stressful yeah because you could still like see the german dude's face and you could see that like he was just like a normal dude who just happened to find like the scariest baddest american like, <laughs> massive dude yeah. who's now coming to like skewer him and so you feel a little bit scared for bull but i think i felt more scared for the german
1: oh yeah yeah yeah, you knew who was not getting out of there alive. Um,
0: so it's it's brutal. They fight. Ultimately, Bull wins, um, and and takes down the German guy. Uh, um, hu- hurries away the Dutchman and his daughter. Uh, not necessarily on good terms. I don't think that they really knew what to do after witnessing that yeah Um, they didn't seem outwardly appreciative of being saved i think that they were just terrified of seeing bull take down this dude yeah um i don't really know how transformative this experience was for him as a character Um, yeah
1: i'm not sure either um it almost feels like it was more just an episode about, like, a cool getting separated and then reunited with your company story. Because yeah. he doesn't really seem to, like, be changed by this experience later on in the series. Um, he kind of started as a badass and yeah. came out of it
0: as just, like, a badass, but, like, he can't move his arm as much.
1: yeah. I don't know. It might have just even been showcasing the whole like throwaway line at the beginning of the episode about how like Sergeant Mandelman's the smartest man in this company. Yeah. Um. To like prove a point that you know you can't judge a book by their cover. Mhm. Type scenario, but it was a it was an important episode at least as far as the strategy of the war goes. To show yeah. that like Market Garden was a failure and they had to retreat um, and that they weren't gonna get into Germany from that direction. Yeah. It's because so many of
0: the Germans made it across back into Germany and they just like entrenched themselves that that it kind of like failed as opening an avenue, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um So then after the the kind of failure of Market Garden, Easy Company gets redirected to a little town in, uh...
1: France? Yep. Belgium? France. France, I think.
0: You can't tell the difference. They should just partition Belgium, but that's just me. <laughs> um, they they get to a little town in, in France called Bastogne. Um, and... At the beginning of episode 5, we pick back up with them uh, uh as as you learn in Belgium. That, sorry, the the hat of France, not France itself, I apologize. <laughs>
1: the hat of France, yes.
0: Um they get sent to Bastogne and pretty quickly become completely surrounded. Um this is uh, Band of Brothers' depiction of the famous Battle of the Bulge, from the yeah. perspective of Easy Company.
1: There um, was an intervening episode um, between these two, where the the Crossroads episode, basically oh where God, Winters right. leads this charge, and it's it's not super important to the strategy of the war, but is important to the character of Winters. Um, no, you're right. I just I just read my my notes wrong. Sorry continue that's okay yeah the next episode crossroads is about winters basically leading this charge at a go figure crossroads um on their way repositioning south into belgium where they come upon two companies of ss men and catch them by surprise and eradicate them basically um and this leads to winters getting promoted out of the battlefield Um, or at least out of the front lines of the battlefield and into, I don't remember what his title was after that, if it was, like, lieutenant or first uh, lieutenant or captain. He became a captain there, and that was battalion commander. That's right. I remember that he became battalion commander, but I didn't remember what the, the rank was. But anyway, it's kind of an important episode because it's told through his, like, it's, it's kind of told through a flashback of him writing this after action report mm-hmm. um, showcasing that he had been promoted and in the after action report it keeps flashing back to the scene of him like coming up he's leading this charge uh, on the crossroads and he comes up over the road and all of the SS men are looking the other way except for one kid who like yeah. turns around and looks at Winters in the face and just kind of like shrugs like well this is it and Winters just unloads on him Um, yeah and that begins like this whole crazy battle where they wipe Mm -hmm. out these two companies and it's just him kind of grappling with this I think idea that like this is what war is it's doing these things and killing these men that are in that moment so helpless yeah
0: some of them not even men yeah in the case of the, the the boy that that they
1: keep showing winter shoot yeah also in this episode uh jimmy fallon is here
0: yeah yeah i have <laughs> just that just really down. weird <laughs> there are many many very famous people who have like tiny bits sometimes big bits mm-hmm. in band of brothers that i didn't really realize until several watch throughs yeah. jimmy fallon is in this episode
1: yeah he does fine it's just weird it's weird not seeing him not smiling yeah he looks like he wants to smile but he really shouldn't (laughs) because because Jimmy Fallon yeah and because like the scene that his character is in the easy company is given their their marching orders to head into Bastogne yeah and this final scene of the episode is them like Undersupplied, no ammo no winter clothing very little rations no medical equipment uh and they're they're headed into bastone and coming the other direction is this like procession of shell-shocked men who like won't even look them in the eye and easy yeah. company's like where are you guys coming from and they're like you know we're coming from bastone like get out turn back don't don't go this way
0: yeah and that's when Jimmy Fallon uh brings in the recorder and the 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 tiny xylophone and <laughs> <laughs> yeah really sets the tone for the rest of the episode uh-huh um no uh for those who don't know the Battle of the Bulge was not an episode of the Tonight Show uh <laughs> far, far from it. It was, it was very bad, um, Just, as yeah. evidenced by this like procession of these dudes coming out. Um, they were replacing a regiment that was trying to hold on to this very, very important um, confluence of roads in Belgium. Um, that that would have made it really easy for the Germans to continue to harass the allies if they controlled Bastogne so naturally they had to hold it Um, and that's why they ended up getting cut off and completely surrounded Um, and that actually ends up kind of playing out over the next two episodes which I didn't remember from the last time I saw it so we get Mm -hmm. episode six and seven um, yeah basically being the whole battle of the bulge
1: yeah which, they call it the Battle of the Bulge, but from Easy, point, Easy Company's point of view, it's basically them just suffering artillery strikes for yeah. a week. And then that's it. Like, <laughs> then they have, like, one final conflict where they, like, duke it out and push the Germans back.
0: Yeah, but it's real, real rough. Uh, so rough. Tonight. Um, the first episode in the Battle of the Bulge uh, follows um, a medic named uh, Doc Rowe. Eugene Rowe. I feel like every medic is just destined to be called Doc, which yeah. will get confusing if you call all of them Doc. I don't really know what
1: the procedure yeah. is there. Um. <laughs> and this guy's from Louisiana, so he, he might be the guy who set the stereotype. Yeah.
0: <laughs> No, they do a good job themselves, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs>
1: the the Cajun doc.
0: Yeah. His grandmother was literally a witch doctor, um, yep. which was
1: kind of cool. And he
0: t- and he's like telling this to a French girl that he's kind of like into. working with in an aid. Yeah, I think Into, uh, who works at an aid station in Bastogne. And yeah. she doesn't seem like weirded out by that at all for some reason.
1: She's like, cool. Anyway, I got to go put this guy's guts back in. Yeah. See ya.
0: <laughs> this whole episode is like scenario after scenario of of showing the helplessness of medics, I feel like, during well, the war.
1: Not, I, I wouldn't say necessarily just the helplessness of medics, but illustrating just how undersupplied they were. <laughs> at Bastion, yeah. like he spends the better part of the episode just looking for a pair of scissors yeah he just can't even find one in this entire company of men they're like using bed sheets as bandages he's like desperately trying to scrounge up morphine and you know just can't treat everybody who's being hurt yeah much like the men don't have rounds to shoot they don't have food to eat they don't have clothes to wear they don't have shoes
0: yeah in in the winter
1: yeah it's just a whole horrible situation so
0: yeah the helpless they're helpless in terms of what their options are but they're yeah. not helpless in terms of the fact that they're trying right um, they they find every opportunity they can to to Get um, what they need to keep everybody alive. One of Mm -hmm. the instances being um, uh, Joe Toya, uh, he ends up losing his shoes. Oh yeah! And Doc Rowe has to find some off a dead body back in Bastone. Yeah. Size nine, just like everybody else. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Which is horrible. Um, Yeah. That that pile of bodies that he gets the shoes from uh, actually grows subtly as the episode goes by Mm -hmm. Um, just kind of out in front, out in front of the aid station with which I can't imagine what it must be like to be like you were shot during some exchange or you caught shrapnel from around and you come to that aid station, you walk by that. Yeah. Yeah. Where's your head at when you go in there?
1: Well, and they talk about this during the episode, how, like, this isn't just some occasional mortars coming in. Yeah. Right? It's This is the middle of winter. Like, there's a snowstorm so thick that they can't get the supply drops into the Easy Company soldiers. The Germans have basically fully encircled the position of Bastogne. So these guys are, like, trapped from all sides... And the, the as they say, shellacking that they take is mm-hmm. like minutes of sustained artillery fire, like tearing the forest apart. Yeah, a, and is you know just totally random who's gonna live or die through these barrages, um, and so it's no no surprise that there is such a death toll from the Mm -hmm. american side uh i think they were outnumbered like three to one in this engagement and you never see the only germans that you see in this episode are ones who are accidentally wandering too far into enemy lines because it's so like the blizzard is so thick that they don't know where the heck they are yeah So it's just like all around showcasing this desperation. And then I think finally at the end of the episode, the storm breaks and they're able to get some supplies dropped to them for their counterattack, which is episode seven, the second part of the Battle of the Bulge. Yeah. um, Where they talk about like this Lieutenant Dyke, who is at the time commanding Easy Company or not all of Easy Company, right? Is he just doing one of the platoons? He's easy company, which is worse. Okay. Yeah, way worse. Um, yeah, he's this guy that is like somebody's. Uh, I don't know. He's like well connected in the military. And so basically just became a lieutenant from that. Like, doesn't deserve to be there. Shirks his duty all the time. Like, ignores the command. Um, yeah. Cracks under pressure. Uh, and they, they like lead this assault on. Some town as part of breaking out of the the Ardennes forest, and he like totally freezes up, um, mm-hmm. which is like a very frustrating scene, right? Because I think it's is it Lip who goes to Captain Winner's and is like, you know, don't send us out there with this guy. He's gonna get a lot of easy company men killed.
0: Yeah, which is ballsy. Um, yeah. Because Episode 7 follows uh, Carwood Lipton, who's uh, the company first sergeant, which basically means you're the top NCO, um, mm-hmm. non-commissioned officer. Uh, you're the guy who reports directly to the company commander, a.k.a. Lieutenant Dyke. And he's basically telling Winters, who's in charge of the regiment, you can't, you can't rely on him for this assault you want to do on Foy tomorrow. Tons of people are gonna die if you do that, um, which must be like, how do you, how do you how do you deal with that? You're like yeah. literally encircled. This is the guy that you've got in charge, and you can't just take him out because there's all kinds of repercussions for that. Right, it's just well, horrible.
1: And it's kind of also the coming at a time where Winters is talking to Nix about it, and he sees it the same way. He doesn't yeah. want Dyke leading this charge but he doesn't know who could possibly replace him and they they go through a list of guys and one of the guys they consider is buck
2: um
1: who ends up like they they say after he was shot in holland he kind of became a little skittish maybe or like you could see it in his eyes that he was you know a thousand yard stare like ptsd was starting to set in the shell shock but in Bastone you know during one of the artillery strikes he sees both uh toy losing a leg and then yeah. garnier goes to rescue toy and then also gets hit with artillery and loses a leg so he sees like two of these guys get their legs blown off who he's been with since tokoa and he yeah. like he totally breaks down so the only guy that they could consider to replace dyke even if they were able to considering the political ramifications like yeah. has a mental break
0: yeah so there's just no option other than to send him in and and force him to either fail and get replaced or succeed and prove them all
1: wrong right yeah which he fails miserably yeah yeah
0: um, before we get too much into Foy, I want to go back to Garnier and and, uh, and Toy losing mm-hmm. their legs. Um, obviously, just like many of the other scenes, brutal.
1: Yes, disgusting.
0: It's during an artillery strike. Um, Joe Toy, like that day or the day before, came back from the aid station after getting wounded before. mm mm-hmm. um, doing the easy company tradition of leaving when they're not supposed to like before the treatment's actually done. Um, yeah. So like the tragedy is that, uh, he gets there and then gets his leg blown off and that basically takes him out of the war. Um, yeah. but then Garnier, it, it turns out is it's a worse wound somehow, even though, um, I, I don't quite know the anatomy well enough. Uh, it, 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 it looked just as bad i i couldn't yeah doc Rowe says it's worse so i'm like okay doc Rowe says it's so i guess yeah he knows what's going on um but his wound isn't like a clean like like cut of his leg it takes yeah. off like like the shin
1: but that's just
0: it. yeah it's gross and it, it was it was awful um and and Toy both Toy and Garnier are leading up to this point, we haven't talked about them much, but they, they've been great. They've been yeah. like They've awesome staple characters. characters.
1: Yeah. And like you really get the sense that they were both, you know, core guys to this company, and that yeah. losing them both at the same time was a real blow. And then you see it in Buck, who like completely yeah. breaks down.
0: Yeah. Um and then uh, the other uh, really significant uh, set of deaths in this episode um, yeah. was, and I want to i want to talk a little bit more about this afterwards, but was the, I can't even remember their names. I'm looking through my notes and I don't have their names.
1: Well, Hubler dies.
0: Oh, yeah, yes, yes. Hubler dies because he's, he's mishandling a Luger and
1: it goes off. And shoots himself uh, in the leg. Severs Um, his main artery and just bleeds to death in like 30 seconds
0: that was just
1: nuts yeah
0: but what was what was even crazier for me was the two dudes in the foxhole who during a bombardment oh yeah you don't expect it because you've only seen up until this point like people take hits but they just get a direct bombardment Mm -hmm. into their foxhole And you just hear them, like, saying, like, Malarkey, get in here, get in here, you gotta get in here. Yeah. You're under fire. And then they just... They explode. They disappear. That that always f***ed me up, I feel like, whenever I was watching this the previous times. I'm always like, that's just crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, Malarkey is himself, he's, like, out of the foxholes, running around... Uh, you know, trying to find somewhere to get down, and yeah. the the people who are like, yeah, come into our foxhole. He's almost there, and it explodes. Yeah. And so he just like sees them completely obliterated before their eyes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Crazy.
0: Um, it was a little bit. That was after Toy and Garnier get hit, though, right? Uh huh. I I know that this was probably exactly how things went in, uh,
1: like in real life and Muck. Yes,
0: yes, yes. Yeah. It did always kind of strike me as kind of weird to have like to to show a character break after seeing two of his best friends get so badly wounded, Mm -hmm. but then they don't have like an equivalent. Reaction by somebody when Muck and Pinkala like disintegrate, yeah. It, it, th- it always struck me as kind of a weird juxtaposition, and I know it's probably how real life went, but it was just mm-hmm. like weird,
1: yeah. I, yeah, I think that's something that the show tries to talk about and examine, right? It's like, why do certain people have the responses that they do during war, yeah, and. You know, for Buck, it's like too much on an emotional level to watch his friends get eviscerated. Like, he takes it very, very personally. And then, but then you get somebody like Malarkey who I guess is able to maybe repress it better or process it better or something. There's just some character difference that he like experiences this and sees it as just another reason why he should be fighting. Yeah.
0: That 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 explanation makes sense to me actually. Um especially the part about
1: the Irishman repressing all of his feelings. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and there's a scene also where in this same episode, that same shelling where uh round goes into Luzz and Lipton's foxhole, yeah. but doesn't go off. Like a dud round. Which was like, okay. This is we gotta get out of here. And then they they press the assault on Foy. Yep,
0: yep. Um, we were talking earlier about during this assault how Lieutenant Dyke shows his true colors, or really just the colors that everybody knew he had. Um, yeah, which is that he was just, which is, he's just terror. He, he just is not just a good coward. In com- yeah. Um, he starts getting a lot of his men killed, and they're following his orders for to their credit. Like, yeah, he tells them. Go around the back. Flank him.
1: Yeah. And well, then they're he, like, like. They start this charge on Foy. They get halfway through the wheat field. And then he's like, where's first platoon? Yeah. He, like can't see first platoon. or they, They're not where he thinks they should be. So they're literally just nailing in the middle of this open field.
2: And he's Jesus. like, Every, everybody Jesus.
1: stop. Like, we're, we're on the wrong spot. Like, they're in perfect range for the German artillery to be hitting them. And it's just like this absolute cluster. F- yeah. While he's like trying to get things together in his head and they all like huddle behind this hay bale. The whole time Captain Winters is back on the sidelines of the battle, like screaming at them, like, keep going, keep going. And they're like, you know, what do we do, Dyke? What do we do? What's the move, Lieutenant? And he's like, "We'll take some guys and go around the other side of town. Tell first platoon to flank them. Yeah like what like you want us to get behind the entire German position and flank the town with like
0: 10 people
1: yeah just crazy like stupid orders
0: yeah Uh, and this is when we get lieutenant Spears again Um, Mm -hmm. Winters is having none of it Uh, after a an intense exchange and he's like about to go out there and fix the problem sink reminds him uh, that that's not your job anymore your job is to get other people to mm-hmm. to do the dirty work. Um, that was that rebuke that we were talking about earlier. And Winters gets Spears, who was the the guy who was seemingly indiscriminately killing German prisoners towards the beginning of the series, um, but just so happens to be a much more capable uh, combat commander mm-hmm. than Dyke is in p- perhaps many of the other men there um, and he basically goes in and, and rescues easy company uh, from dyke gets them into the position they need to be in and they take the town um,
1: yeah and not only does he like help them there's this whole scene where they're trying to hook up with I company who they like don't know where they are uh because they're supposed to be doing this pincer movement on the town of foy And so easy company's finally in position they're like where's i company you know we need them to be on the other side so we can route the germans and and spears is basically like be right back and he runs (laughs) through the germans like through their position yeah straight through the middle of the town over to i company hooks up with them and this is like being told from lip's perspective he's like the most amazing thing wasn't that he ran through their position the most amazing thing was after he hooked up with i company he came back.
0: Yeah. Jesus. Straight
1: through the German position again. <laughs>
0: um, again, demonstrating that, that that combat leadership that Winters was, but in kind of like a flip side way. Um, showing that courage needs to be like demonstrated by everybody by actually doing it. Mm-hmm. But... At a much more suicidal level, like yeah,
1: almost totally reckless, right? Yeah,
0: um, it's an interesting case uh, of like the different styles. I feel like that we get to experience.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and you definitely see in later on in the series how Spears is a not a man of the same morality as Winters, because he yeah. like indiscriminately loots every town they go through and like collects (laughs) fine silver and like mails it home (laughs) it's just basically like looking to profiteer from the war in any way that he really can part of me
0: was was kind of like building a headcanon for him on that in that i was just imagining that he was living way longer than he expected to (laughs) so he was like he was like i gotta take advantage of this and so he was just taking every fine piece of silver in all of bavaria it's uh-huh. <laughs> like shipping it back home um i still might die but at least like my my wife or whatever will will have something out of this yeah. i don't have to just die for nothing i can give her something yeah um and and he becomes the company commander for the rest of the series um thus ending kind of a long like Arduous journey through some decent commanders, some really poor commanders, mm-hmm. um, until finally they have Spears, who is a, f- a flawed but very capable combat commander.
1: Yeah. Yep. And they go on to say, you know, after they took Foy, they took two more towns after that and pushed the Germans all the way back to the Rhine. Yeah. Which
0: am I to understand that the the river in in the next episode, episode 8 is the Rhine? Is that um, what they were trying to say?
1: That may have Was that been just what another river? I'm not sure. Let me I'll, I'll check. Um the other thing that also happens as part of this episode because it's kind of told by lips uh point of view um is that he gets a battlefield promotion?
0: Yes, to lieutenant. Uh, yeah, this is something that's kind of rare, um, at least at the time um, in the military, and that is that uh, uh, non-commissioned officers like sergeants um, sometimes will need to to get brought up to the status of an officer. Um, to reward them but also because they've gained so many skills just by being there that replacement officers aren't going to have so that's why he gets brought up to second lieutenant and gets his own platoon which is kind of cool doesn't Spears basically say while while he's telling him about it that even though you guys toiled under Dyke and you guys felt leaderless I've talked to all the men and they never really felt leaderless Lipped. right they always you had were always you. yeah which i thought was really cool um it yeah. was really classy
1: yeah the yes and it also follows kind of an interesting exchange um where uh spears is basically like you you want to ask me lips like "Ask oh, you yeah. what he's like ask me about if i shot all those german pow's and he's like, I, you know, I wasn't I wasn't going to say anything about it. Um, and he, Spears gives this allegory about, you know, how some ancient Roman commander got a reputation for doing this and you know, never lived it down um, but was kind of like regarded as a really good commander despite that. And Lipton's like, well, yeah, but you know the rumors seem substantiated because he never came out and denied it. And Spears is like maybe he never denied it because he wanted people to think he was the meanest son of a bitch around.
0: Yeah. Which is a really concrete uh, picture into Spears's uh, uh, ethos. I feel like, mm-hmm. like what what he what he values there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I did just look it up, and the only river anywhere near the town of Hagenau is the Rhine. Okay. Uh, there's that one, and then there's some smaller ones that like feed into it. So it could be like this river called the Motor, Okay. Um, but it is very close to the Rhine. So I would assume that for the purposes of the show, it's one of these smaller rivers. Okay. Because they actually f- like put a rope across it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah um, it, it did feel like smaller than the Rhine so I was a little bit confused on that part
1: yeah but they were like right next to the Rhine when this happened so the next episode being this like a POW capture thing where they're they're trying to set up a mission to go across the river to this German outpost that's like the final vestiges of the german position outside of germany and capture some prisoners to interrogate them about basically what what germany is like and what troop movements <laughs> there are etc um you're making it sound
0: like you're making what? it sound like it's uh like hey uh, we're, we're about to head in here like where's the best places to go for like skiing and
1: uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> well because they kind of <laughs> talk about it in the show right when they capture these prisoners they're like you know what they say? uh You know what the weather's like. What haley's favorite color is? Like, yeah, <laughs> they're not telling us anything. Like, <laughs> yeah.
0: Sorry, I interrupted you. Though I, I just thought it was no, funny that okay. you said that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the it, and it follows a guy, uh, David Webster, who was with Easy Company during D-Day and Market Garden, but then got an injury and was taken out of combat. And is only now coming back, you know, four or five months later. Um, and so he's basically treated as like a new guy again because he missed Bastone.
0: Yeah. Um, and even, even worse than a new guy in some ways because unlike uh, a lot of the other members of Easy Company, he did not leave the hospital early.
2: Yeah. Which
0: maybe fairly, maybe unfairly, like, makes him lose some respect that he kind of has to earn back during this episode.
1: Hmm. Yeah, but I think he does. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of, I think, the point of the episode in some ways. But yeah, this one's it's kind of an interesting episode. It, do, it doesn't really add a whole lot, I think, to the, again, the longer, broader story, but it's a nice character vignette about Webster and yeah. maybe what it's like to be a new person in this war because there's also uh, Lieutenant Jones he's mm-hmm. like a, a West Point graduate fresh out of college coming into this war and you know he outranks all of these NCOs in Easy Company in terms of like his status but none of them look at him and think like oh this is a guy we want commanding us at this point he's so green he doesn't know anything
0: yeah yeah Um, And to his credit, he comes in, I think, with the right attitude, which is that I know I'm not going to be leading this strike to go take these prisoners, but Mm -hmm. please, for the love of God, let me go. I've been training at West Point for years for this very moment. Mm -hmm. I I don't want to get people killed by just running in without knowing anything. So let me go so I can know things.
1: Yeah. And they let him go. And I think he ends up earning some of the respect of the men because of that. Um, yeah,
0: he he gets he gets promoted to first lieutenant on the spot after the yeah. the raid which he does do a good job, but I didn't necessarily understand the promotion. He just well the there. way
1: the way they phrased the promotion was like, you know, how would you like being at battalion headquarters instead? Right? Oh, it's I see. Okay. It's like we're going to we're going to stick you a little bit further off the front lines because you did fine but the investment to get you up to speed is going to be a few more of these types of encounters and we don't necessarily want to do that
0: I guess it still does feel a little bit weird in the sense that I actually think he did better than fine um, mm-hmm. he was an asset um, mm-hmm. but you know maybe that's actually
1: how it went down I can't argue with
0: the history you know. I don't know
1: because I think th- this episode they also talk about how at this point in the war people are starting to get the sense that maybe they'll live through it. Yeah. And so I think it might have just been yet another one of these moves of like we don't want anybody on the front line who's inexperienced in a way that could risk fatalities in yeah. the upcoming battles. Um, because like they they do this whole prisoner heist and it's successful, except for uh, Jackson, who's this mm-hmm. private who throws a grenade into a building and then runs in before it detonates and gets hit with his own shrapnel and ends up dying in this like super chaotic scene back in a basement yeah. in uh, the other side of Hagenau. Where these like, prisoners are, are yelling and they're being yelled at and being threatened with guns and there's a bunch of guys around him and he's screaming out for help and just this horrible chaotic scene. He's the only casualty of this encounter. Yeah,
0: which um, is crazy that they yeah. they managed to do this and he's the only one that gets hurt even.
1: Yeah. But they go and they, they capture these two Germans and so they have some guys that they interrogate And Colonel Sink's like, great, it worked. Go do it again tonight. (laughs) And uh, Winters is like, okay, guys, you know, here's the plan. It's the same plan as last night, except I want you all to go to sleep, get a good night's rest, and in the morning write me a report that you couldn't get any Germans, basically. Um, Really playing up this whole angle that, like, they don't need to be doing anything risky at this point in the war. That's going to yeah. cause unnecessary fatalities.
0: Germany's basically crushed already.
1: Yeah. And the next two episodes after that, I think, uh, are the last two. Um, yeah. But they're they're both not intense combat episodes. Yeah. So it really is like the the brunt of the fighting is over at this point for for easy company in the show.
0: Yeah, episode nine um, is basically them entering Germany and uh, it, it's it's the show's first um, time to address the concentration camps. yeah, uh, it basically all centers around. They get into Germany, they they start uh, enacting martial law on the conquered lands, um, and they find a concentration camp for uh, male Jews, and it's obviously horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I don't know how they managed to pull off some of the actors. Mm-hmm in this scene because they look just like every photo you've ever seen of, of survivors of the Holocaust. They're, they're bone thin, uh, gray skin, raggedy clothes, bodies everywhere. Um, It's so sad. Yeah. And easy company is, is one of the groups that discovers this camp. Um, Mm -hmm. so it tells their story of, um, of dealing with this now like massive group of, of starved uh, holocaust survivors um, who is it following in this episode
1: was it kind of about Leibgott yeah sort of um, also yeah. about Nyx because this is the episode where he's kind of having yeah. his drinking problem and dealing with the fact that he's getting divorced and he he's getting demoted. He's basically just like tired of the war at this point. Everybody's yeah. tired of the war at this point. In this episode is when uh, the major German army surrenders, Hitler kills himself, Berlin falls, like Yeah. The war is basically one. All but one. The only people left fighting are like ss holdouts up in the mountains trying to fight a guerrilla war but for all intents and purposes like the allies have won in europe Um, Yeah. so he's just kind of coming down off of this whole Mm -hmm. thing
0: yeah and part of part of nixon's story in this episode um is kind of like he has to he has to deal with all these bad things happening to him you mentioned he was his wife files for divorce his drinking problem intensifies um but throughout this a, a moment actually a pair of moments that i really really loved um is that uh he deals with these things kind of in a an adolescent way and it's it, it's a in some cases mm-hmm. um as he runs out of booze he basically is is shipped around germany uh, throughout this episode and he is just like looking for uh, replacement bottles in various places. And one of the places um, in the town outside mm. uh, uh, or just outside of where they find the concentration camp, he he goes into a, a, a large stately manor because he thinks that that's where the good stuff will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and he finds some booze, but he is kind of like, visually confronted by the owner of the house as she emerges from a back room and she basically just like stares him down Mm -hmm. um and and it it's you you kind of feel like the death stare as as nixon gets a little bit of shame out of that Um, he doesn't like his hands in his pockets and walk away he still kind of is defiant about it but you feel like this judgment Mm-hmm. But then, interestingly enough, uh, all this gets reversed after they find the concentration camp. Um, they find the camp. They discover that they need to, they need to treat the survivors and clean up the dead. Uh, and after martial law gets declared, all of the Germans in that town are sent to go clean this up, including this this woman who owned the manor and who kind of judged nixon in with this death stare Mm -hmm. um and he goes back to the camp to for some reason probably because yeah um and he and he sees her and and i like this kind of reversal that we see where um i don't think that he comes with like a judging stare but it feels like it was so petty Mm -hmm. to have like her going like why are you taking my stuff like with this with this stare down back in her manner. But then now it's like, why are you uh, now down there cleaning up after your mess, AKA this treatment of these Jews? Yeah. Um, Because there's pretty heavy implication, I think throughout the episode that she was married to a higher ranking Nazi officer. She would know what's happening here.
1: Definitely. Um, Yeah. And they, they like say, that before the Americans showed up, the guards emptied every last round of ammunition into the prisoners at the camp and then set some huts on fire and fled, right? Like somebody from the town warned them that the Americans were coming and so they killed as many Jews as they could before they left. And there's a few instances during the episode where like, for example, Nixon pulls out a pistol on the baker because the baker's upset they're like why are you taking my bread to go feed all these people or whatever and he's like you know you need to shut up you need to shut up right now and he pulls a pistol on him and puts it to his throat and he's like you know you knew what was happening yeah and you didn't do anything like you knew and the guy's like i didn't know anything please don't kill me please don't kill me he's like how could you not know how could you not smell the stench yeah the body's burning um and so this kind of this whole overtone, the whole episode, they're like this town,
0: absolutely new, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly what was going on, and just kind of, you know, turned a blind eye, and and whether that's, like, to their detriment or not, you could, make a bigger argument about, mm-hmm. um, like how yeah, culpable they are, is, yeah, is up to you, right. Uh, But all of this happens, like... All of the bad stuff happens to Nick's at the beginning of the episode, and then they find this concentration camp, and I think it really puts it all into perspective for him. Yeah. That, like, okay, sure, my wife left me. Sure, you know, I've got... I I want this alcohol and I can't find it, but I am not being starved in a concentration camp and shot because of who I am. Yeah.
0: It's it's perspective setting for a lot of the characters in this episode.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, even another example of this is is uh, um, what what was his name the the replacement who's like O'Malley or something O'Keefe O'Keefe um, yeah. he gets uh, he gets a taste of what the war's been like for everybody else um, after the very beginning being very like I'm so ready for this let's go let's go let's let's mm-hmm. see some combat and then he gets. Uh, he he sees this concentration camp, and I don't think that he's as gung ho anymore. I think that yeah. that pretty much mellows him out completely.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the way they play it up in this episode, and I I feel like this might have been what happened in real life as well, right? It was that as they discover these concentration camps, people people didn't realize maybe the extent of Hitler's seriousness about exterminating yeah. Jewish people and and Poles and Gypsies and gay people and basically anybody who he deemed ideologically unfit. Um, so these were kind of like a, a hidden thing, right? Because you didn't have spy planes flying over Germany all the time giving aerial photos of the entire country and seeing like, oh, there's these weird camps they've got set up it's like yeah this is the first time in the war that both you know the americans are there the french are there the russians are coming in from another side and they're finding these camps and everybody's this realization is dawning on the allies that like holy this is what was going on behind closed doors yeah
0: yeah i i don't know how often um in modern war, you get to see that people were actually sticking to their uh, rhetoric. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's why you gotta take people seriously. Yeah, you can't just go like, "Oh, they don't really mean that." They, mm-hmm. at least, I guess, at least in this time and place. Yeah, but I would, I, I think it's pretty easy to argue even today. Um one other note I have on this episode uh is that I don't know if you could tell um but the Germans who were uh playing music for the uh the, the rest of the Germans who were helping to clean up the town mm-hmm. at the end uh at least one of them was not actually playing the violin oh really yeah, uh, he starts to play a note that doesn't produce any sound until about three seconds after he starts to play it.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I was not paying close enough attention.
0: It's just like a little thing that, that I, I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Could you? Uh, you have so many extras. Do any of them play violin? <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. It's worth noting that at the time of filming, this was the most expensive miniseries ever produced. Oh, I didn't know that. It was a $125 million budget. Oh, wow. So I'm surprised they didn't have a guy who could play the violin there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, To be clear,
0: I think that some of them could have been actually playing it, but one of them was very clearly not. Um, (laughs) And actually was the violist. um, Okay. For for those listeners who are going to... For people who really care. Who really care, yeah. Um. So after the the deep, deep despair of uh, episode nine that uh, everybody gets to experience, um, we then get to the last episode of the series. Um, and we're kind of treated with uh, Captain Winters, or excuse me, Major Winters' perspective again. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he shows us kind of, how the war ended Um, it wasn't just uh, Hitler's dead we all go home Um, Japan was still fighting Uh, the um, German army was still demilitarizing Germany itself was still being reorganized uh, as the Soviets and the western allies start carving it up Um, Mm -hmm. and for easy company um they go kind of to two different places uh both for different purposes um after hitler's death the ss and kind of the more radical uh among the german army are still fighting right Mm -hmm. they flee to uh bavaria ah yes To get their leaderhosens they forgot. Um, (laughs) No, to uh, ostensibly set up a guerrilla campaign. I'm not 100% sure to what end, because it's like 10 times as many men left in in Europe to oppose them. But these Mm -hmm. were the orders they received. And so Easy Company goes to try and, and rat them out. Um, they go to ooh, did you write down the name of this town that uh all of the loyal um, Germans went to?
1: Where the eagle's they, nest is? They were stationed uh in Berchtestagen. Yes, yes, okay. That. Berchtesgaden. Yeah. It's like right where the eagle's nest mm-hmm. is. In in the Bavarian Alps. And they say, like, you know, there's nobody in the town when they show up. And everybody's kind of weirded out by that because every town they've occupied so far, it's like there's some people there, like, ready to greet them and be like, thank you for getting rid of the Nazis. Like, we're so happy that you're there. So they're like, why is there nobody here? Like, this is the one town you know that everybody lived here was a Nazi because you had to be a Nazi to live in this town.
0: Yeah, it was it was kind of like their... Um, uber-patriotic collection of people. Um, I think mostly for military purposes. Like, there were a lot of generals and their families yeah. and things. But also just for party political purposes. Uh huh. It was like their second home outside of Berlin. Um, and so they don't really meet the resistance that they were expecting from the SS. Uh-huh. They, they occupy the town and they um, take over... This world famous mountain retreat that Hitler was gifted for one of his birthdays called the Eagle's Nest. Um, It's one of the more famous encounters uh, that historically for Easy Company, because there's like loads of pictures of them on this, in this um, gorgeous mountaintop, like literal mountaintop retreat, Mm -hmm. um, sun shining through. uh, the conquerors really taking over an important, iconic Nazi uh, location, mm-hmm. uh, and so. But it's a it's kind of a high point for e, for Easy Company. They are yeah. literally like sitting in Hitler's chair, drinking his booze, yeah, uh, and thanking God that they made it through alive.
1: Yeah, celebrating that they won the war. Yeah, and um, then they get the news. That they're going to be redeployed to the Pacific.
0: Yeah. And, uh, it, the, the reason that any of them are still left there is because, uh, of a, a system for determining who gets to go home, uh, where they earn points for various things. Yeah. Um, and they have to meet a certain threshold with those points before they can go home. And that's kind of the centerpiece for the episode. Um, if they don't get those, then yes, they they would retrain and remobilize for the invasion of Japan, which is not a very fun prospect for any of them. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned earlier, they they know how brutal uh, victory in Europe was to achieve, but the Pacific was a whole other level. And they are very, not
1: scared, but wary of it. Mm-hmm right because even though like the germans were formidable foes they surrendered and the whole threat of the japanese is that no matter what happens they're not going to surrender like they're they're suicidal in their combat ambitions um and so just the the price of victory there is going to be even higher. Yeah. So it kind of casts this pretty grim pallor back over the episode of like, everybody's happy and then, you know, along with this news of of redeployment um, there are these other happenings of like, people not dealing well with the stress that peacetime starts to bring upon them of There's nobody to fight, but there's still a lot of anger and there's still guns and still alcohol. And so, yeah, people are shooting each other. People are going out into the mountains and interrogating Germans who may or may not be, you know, Nazi officers and killing them. Like it's just kind of this anything goes unstructured time of violence as well as celebration. Uh, they say, you know, there's there's a line about how we won the war, but people were still dying.
0: Yeah. It 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 feels kind of like this this uh hammer that is Easy Company, which had been like wildly swinging at Germany for the last year or a year and a half, was then just like told to chill. Mm-hmm. But that's not what hammers do.
1: Right. It just kept swinging. Yeah.
0: Um, and it just went really poorly for, for a lot of people
1: yeah but the, the episode kind of rounds out with you know Winters attempting to apply for an immediate transfer to the Japanese theater Theater. Um, getting denied by the general that he's talking to and he's like you know I think, I think your men have earned the right to keep you around so just sit tight, wait with them. We'll redeploy when we need to. Um, and then the timing on this is kind of unclear. I guess they were just in in this part of uh, Austria for five months, four months. Yeah. However long until August rolled around and we dropped the bombs on Japan and then they surrendered. Um, and then they get the news like, okay you've been training for redeployment but luckily we don't have to redeploy the war is over
0: yeah so even though they were all really really fearful of needing to join in the fight they they ended up not needing to which is very fortunate um mm-hmm. and it's during this time that we get to kind of it's it's, it's literally like the the slow motion baseball game where they, <laughs> they they literally show what happens to everybody over the next few years and some of them are, yeah. are really touching uh like uh major winters um joins his friend nixon for a few years to uh to, to work for his family company what was it nixon nitration works yeah um, so that that's really nice and then he uh, goes and,
1: back to Korea. Yeah, actually helps train officers for Korea, and then comes back again to live in Hershey, Pennsylvania, on a farm.
0: Which is what that man deserves. Oh. Seriously. Um, there's many other fairly happy endings. Uh, like people go home, start lives, um, mm-hmm. are prosperous. There's some very interesting um fates uh like webster becomes yeah. a, a big time uh author um and it, uh, several decades later becomes really interested in sharks and writes a famous book about sharks and then yeah. mysteriously disappears into the ocean yeah uh, never to be seen again uh presumably because he was looking for sharks
1: <laughs> maybe he found sharks he,
0: uh, yeah unfortunately
1: um,
0: and 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 then uh nixon um goes through a very turbulent uh, uh um, reintegration with society uh he mm-hmm. i i believe that the undertone is that his drinking problem continues and he goes through several marriages before he finally finds a woman who who helps write him it seems uh, yeah and and they live for quite a while together, and he dies in like the mid nineties. Um, and and you get to to hear about other people who make it home. Bull goes back to Arkansas uh, mm-hmm. to to work in earth oh moving.
1: God. They said, yeah, which is which, actually a big deal. I mean, yeah, there's
0: like, there's like levees and stuff, and a lot of incredibly water
1: non-specific, like very important yeah. probably, but um, yeah, <laughs> it moves earth around. <laughs> yeah um, and uh, we also
0: get a reveal afterwards of which um, older people correspond with which character
1: yeah um, the whole time throughout this show there's like these vin- these interview clips at the beginning or at the end of episodes of these the of the easy company men who survived reflecting on the experiences of what each episode is about um and it's in this final episode that we get to see like who these men each were
0: yeah and that was really cool um Mm -hmm. for some you could probably have guessed who was who um but there was still like a there, there were still several people who you were like oh yeah that makes sense um yeah. I think that Winters is pretty obvious and Garnier is extremely obvious. Oh, he's uh, so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> just if you listener, if you if you watch the show, you'll know why we're saying that he's just a very very specific character.
1: The the actor who plays Garnier nails the accent.
0: Yeah, he does such a good job. Um I think I remember watching some behind the scenes uh many years ago about Band of Brothers and I think that the actor was talking about how like he really felt like a huge amount of pressure to get him right. Mm-hmm. Um and so how could he, you not. I yeah, I, I, agree. I mean the man's
1: still alive. <laughs> yeah. And the shit he lived through is disgusting. Yeah. So you gotta pay honor to that.
0: Yeah. Um interestingly and and kind of sadly, um, actually every single person who is interviewed for Banda brothers has since passed which is kind of sad
2: yeah
1: um, i mean but, are there um, even any people left alive from easy company
0: there's only one person who i could find who was actually represented in the show um mm-hmm. his name is uh, lieutenant shames um mm-hmm. he shows up around bastone uh, he's just one of the oh, platoon yeah. um people uh leaders Yep, he's the only person that I could find. Um, he's ninety-seven. Yeah, wow, that's just crazy. Wow, but but like Malarkey passed away two years ago. Like it's just over the last fifteen years, you've just had them
1: right all dying. Yeah, yeah, Winners passed away in twenty eleven.
2: Mhm.
1: Yeah, it's kind of crazy.
0: Uh, I. I always remember growing up having my grandpa, who was in World War II, always kind of like living in this mindset of like, we still have so many World War II veterans. Mm. And we're just losing the last of the World War One veterans. But now it's like 20 years later. yeah, And it's there's now hardly any World War Two veterans.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we're losing them too now, which I mean. It's amazing that they made this miniseries when they did. Mm -hmm. When so many of them were still alive. Because this came out in 2001, so they must have shot it in 99 or 2000. Um, But yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about that. Something that I reflected on a lot throughout watching this um, time around was that Winters was our age when D-Day happened.
0: I hadn't actually kind of thought of it like that but you're absolutely right
1: which I'm think like this is uh, kind of leads into maybe an interesting point of discussion but seeing somebody who went through something like that at the same age that I am now in life is a very big like mental challenge to myself of like could I be a person that does this um, mm-hmm. and I think as I was watching the show that was a question I was asking myself over and over is you know, who would I be if I was put in this same setting right uh, I think a lot of people like to hope that they would live through it Um. there's plenty of evidence in the show that that's just simply not the case
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but you know if all other things being equal, it makes me really wonder like what would my attitude be if I were asked to do the same things that these men were asked to do
0: It would have needed a lot of of brainwashing to get me at that level of like that to be able to operate at that level I feel like
1: mm-hmm you think I,
0: oh definitely like. I've just been I think that I've and I'm guessing probably you've just been raised in like a completely different way we don't we don't see we don't have any kind of constant reminders of like uh, who the enemy is like we don't have like a concept of the enemy Mm -hmm. Um, and that you need to like stand up to them I feel like things are so much more gray now It'd be hard yeah. to convince me to like go hey we gotta like we gotta take out those uh those artillery pieces they're hitting our dudes on Omaha beach and then just going like yeah that makes sense let's go do it like there has to be so many more steps between who I am now and that
1: yeah you
0: know? I don't know if uh um if if this was similar for you, but I think even the first time I saw this I always uh, really empathized with uh, Blythe yeah and that's probably not the ideal but I, I feel like that's the most genuine uh, mm. I don't think that I think that there's just so many things I would have to get over like to have the courage to do some of the things that people were doing
1: yeah yeah um, I don't know if I... I actually don't think I ever really empathized with Blythe mm-hmm. um, on like a personal level. I think I understood what he was going through. But for me, Buck was one of those characters that I like... I could see how the same thing could easily happen to me where like... You'd go into this thing thinking like, okay, I'm ready for it. And like, sure, there's horrible shit happening, but I can justify the cost. Yeah as far as, like, my friends go, or as far as, like, I'm concerned. But then whenever something actually happens to you, it becomes tangible in a way that it wasn't, even when the artillery was hitting near you but missing you. Mm -hmm. Um, I could see that being, like, a pretty plausible trajectory. This doesn't have anything to do with
0: with this question, I think, but it's interesting that you would pick buck because he's literally like physically the most like you with the, with the blonde hair uh-huh. and like, and the, and the beard growing in like almost the exact same way. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's, you nailed it. You nailed the casting mm. of this, Thanks. of this 2019 remake of band of brothers. Perfect. Um, I think, I think that, uh, buck is, is a pretty solid pick though. Like, I I really could see you going in, like, with every best intention. But, like, war is really hard.
1: Yeah. Uh, And, like, I'm not enough of a psychopath to identify with Spears, for example. Like, I think he's super cool. Yeah. And I would love to, like, have him on my side. But, man, like, I couldn't be that guy. No, I could not either. (laughs) But I think the other thing to maybe point out here is a lot of these guys came away with PTSD and Mm -hmm. drinking problems and smoked a a whole lot and you know just you you have to take up a lot of vices I guess to support this kind of unholy experience that you've been through yeah Um, and the men who didn't like winters are like that guy's got to just be made of different stuff
0: in some ways, I think he's a different kind of psychopath than Spears. He's like yeah. a much more productive one for society. <laughs> like that sounds really harsh, but I, yeah. I feel like I encounter people all the time who are like super high level functioning psychopaths who like who maybe realize that like they're a little bit more disconnected from like their fellow man and like the the things that they have to go through, but they've made a conscious decision to apply themselves mm-hmm. to the betterment of whatever they're doing say they're say they're some kind of like business person or something and they have to like they have to like stare some really hard situations in the face uh, but to them it's it's much easier than it would be for me like mm-hmm. because I, I think that in some ways they're a little bit psychopathic yeah um, and that's that's okay and I I I appreciated that part of Winters' character, when contrasted with Spears, and that, like, it's two different people who are built very differently than me. Mm hmm. Very, very brave people. Very brave people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just. I mean, you, you see it in the show, right? Even. Winters can even inspire somebody like Blythe, mm-hmm. who is has blind like hysterical blindness from being so afraid of fighting in this war. Mm -hmm. It can take a guy like that and turn him into somebody who's willing to volunteer to go stake out an enemy position. Um, Yeah. I I can see that being a different kind of psychopathy maybe, but also like that's got to come from a place I think of almost higher order reasoning Mm -hmm. right like there's the the stream of human experience that everybody has of like what makes you happy what makes you sad the things you do to show that you care for somebody else and the way that you react when somebody else insults you and there's this like direct surface experiential level that you can operate on but i almost feel like to be somebody like winters you have to step up a level and say like yes I know that this thing that happened was bad and if I let it it will haunt me but on the greater scale this is what it means and that's why it's more important than like my own personal agony or joy yeah
0: yeah and and listener i i I wonder if if you are taking the same thing out of it, I feel like as we are um, maybe you find that the experiences portrayed by winters and some of the other characters who stepped up are <clears throat> not as foreign to you as maybe it would be to me. Um, mm. We'd love to hear about it. We'd love to be able to hear from people who are, are as badass as winters and Spears. <laughs> seriously
2: <laughs>
1: yeah yeah because i mean we're not at war in the same way right now but certainly there's still people like that among us they still struggle Mm-hmm.
0: it's the eternal struggle of the proletariat against the bourgeoisie oppressors I we got to we got to cover a lot of ground there. Um you, I I feel like I could I could sense that there were some episodes that you thought were stronger than others. Did did you have a high point of this series that you could recommend to the viewers or to the listeners?
1: I mean, the, there are a couple episodes I kind of skipped over not because maybe I didn't think they were good, but because you know, it takes two hours to summarize Band of Brothers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. My some of my favorite episodes actually were, like I said before, the third episode, um uh I yeah. thought that was an amazing episode. Um, and then I also really like the seventh episode, the breaking point, the second part of the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, those two episodes for me contain like some of the most intense action, but some of the most like defining moments of characters, some of the most gruesome parts of war. Uh, just the I think it really highlights the how easy it is to lose sight of why you're doing what you're doing and how mm-hmm. chaotic and horrific this must have been for people but at the same time also showing that like you can come together with these people that you trained with and fight and sacrifice for a higher cause and make it out the other side uh, victorious mm-hmm. yeah um
0: i i actually like both of those episodes quite a lot i think that i would i would definitely point towards three as ah, this is so cliche but like make sure you get to three if you're gonna if you're gonna watch this Mm -hmm. um it is the best encapsulation of band of brothers you can get um i also really liked four though um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i know that i know that bull isn't a perfect character even a perfectly acted character um but even just like the slow build to the the duel with the German yeah. in, the, in the barn is very intense. satisfying. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only real things that I feel like I can call out as being downsides the- is that there were just, and this is really grasping. Let me make sure that people are clear on that. Mm-hmm. Um. I I felt as though there were a few moments that felt more like plot devices than like character mm-hmm. exposes. Yeah, um, we saw a lot of Webster in this series, which was really good. Hmm. Um, but in the ninth episode, I believe it is. Um, there's this there's a scene where they mm-hmm. are going down the autobahn. In one direction and then retreating or not retreating, surrendering Germans are walking the opposite direction and Webster starts yelling at them from his, from his, uh, um, like Jeep thing. Um, like I can't believe that you guys kept on fighting. What were you thinking? You guys suck basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and little moments like that felt kind of weird and out of place interesting um, yeah I I felt as though Webster he had some frustrations but I never felt like that was something that he would do
1: mm.
2: um, hmm.
0: I don't know if you felt the same about that particular one as an example but...
1: I actually felt very differently about that moment mm. um, because I think it had happened I want to say it happened just After they had discovered the concentration camp. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I I, I feel like it was that same episode.
0: Yeah, I think it was. I think it was actually, though, on their way to the town. So I don't think they'd found the concentration camp yet. Okay.
1: Maybe I'm getting that out of order in my head then. But I, I remember that moment at least uh, rhetorically playing off of Nixon's frustrations with the war. Yeah. Um, right. And how like he was talking about, I've got to write these letters to these parents about this plane of guys who went down and they all just died in an airplane. And he's like, what am I going to say? Like they never even saw combat. They never hit the ground. Um, yeah. You know, like what, what is any of this for? And I think that that was the, essence of what webster was upset about in that moment right that's the line that he like he hurls at them he's like what the f- is any of this for yeah like and i could see how like when the germans surrender and it's finally over that you could feel that way right like
2: mm-hmm.
1: there, there's just there's a sort of um Like you said, when you're talking about the easy company being the swinging hammer, like you don't get to obliterate your enemy, you don't get to reduce them to rubble. They're they surrender, they've tapped out, and the cost is so high of this engagement. Like, this was a failed experiment on their part, and it was an experiment that cost millions and millions and millions of lives. And so, that sort of frustration of like, why? Why did we do any of this? I,
0: I I don't know. I definitely agree that somebody should have said it. I think that my main critique is that this is an example of them maybe picking the wrong character to say it. Mm. Okay. Um, especially uh, in the context of this being Nixon's episode. He was yeah. fairly primed to do this. Although I understand as a writer, you don't want like one character to speak the whole time. I get it yeah um he just never seemed like somebody who would yell at the germans um there were actually many situations where he was some of the most one of the most empathetic people towards them mm-hmm. um uh and so it just felt like
1: yeah webster
0: particularly
1: maybe they just picked the wrong guy to yeah. do it um it's like a this seem. go ahead well, but it did seem, though, like, in that scene, Nixon was watching him yeah. yell out. So it was definitely, like, a reflective moment of this is how Nixon is feeling. But yeah, I agree that they could have picked a different guy to, you know, do all of that.
0: And then some other, like, less less real-feeling character moments were um, the... Like uh, the the guy who just, I know he was drunk, but kind of just like shooting Sergeant Grant in episode oh, 10. Yeah. He was, I mean, he, he was obviously just a cardboard character, but like it, when, you're, when you're surrounded by a bunch of really developed characters, you stand out. Yeah. Um, so there were other examples kind of like that of just like, I know they can't do everything perfectly, but like you're going to find some people who aren't like super well developed when you watch this. So mm-hmm. don't be too blindsided by that. If you're used to like the real depth that you get from some of the other characters. Yeah. Um, the Pacific actually, I think does this slightly differently in that they don't give a lot of speaking roles to uh, the other soldiers that aren't the three that they're paying attention to in the series. Mm. um and that's kind of what I'm comparing it to a little bit there's a I lot see. more like ambient soldiers in the Pacific
2: uh-huh
0: um where they're not trying to like do the middle ground of like having them say things and be consequential uh-huh. but still like not being developed it's a lot more of just like not developed characters that are actors around the three that you care about um mm. so that's that's kind of like a difference I feel like that I I was able to see just because i've seen both of the series and i'm like this feels weird being kind of like halfway
1: yeah okay see i've never seen the pacific so i don't really have i don't really have any mini series to contrast this against especially not one made by the same people um yeah so in my mind maybe some of the flaws aren't as readily apparent yeah and this isn't Um, a
0: big deal yeah, they're
1: very small yeah. flaws, I feel like. And, you know, of course, there are factual errors throughout the show. There are dramatizations. That's what the whole thing is. Yeah. Um, but I think it's rare that you get something like this that so powerfully conveys the experience of people who went through such a an extraordinary time mm-hmm. without... Like wrapping it up as something unreal. The whole time, this thing feels very real and very traumatizing and very well earned, well fought, and, and just like, I don't know. Uh, and like I said before, never over the top in terms of patriotism. It's never like inappropriate with what its commentary is. I think it's just very true to what it is meant to convey
0: yeah,
1: um, and that it does it exceptionally well. Which is why I think for the first time on this show I'm going to hand out a 7 out of 7.
2: Whoa!
0: For Band Whoa. of Brothers. That, I think you're right. I think that's, that's probably a first puts a lot of pressure on you know you know what i'm saying yeah
1: it's a real tearjerker
0: is a very good series um it it i don't know why i haven't owned a copy of it until we watched it for this podcast because i've seen it so many times i i'm i know yeah. it's always going to be there for me to go back to if i'm like you know what let's just f-ing remind me of what world <laughs> war ii was like let's do this and then just yeah binge the whole
1: thing yeah it was nice to do over fourth of july go america (laughs) go america (laughs) um i
0: don't think it's flawed enough for a six out of seven yeah it's almost impossible for there's no point during this series where i'm like i i I need a break or i'll come back to this if i had the time i would watch it all in one go kind of like uh, mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings Extended Editions.
2: Hmm.
1: I can give it a seven out of seven too. Yeah. Damn solid. The only reason I stop watching it is whenever I need a, a distance <laughs> from the war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh man. What a great pick. Yep. I I know. Thank you. <laughs> Good. Good. Good job, Daniel. Good one
0: i fought Picking. really
1: hard uh-huh for that pick <laughs> yeah your sacrifice is noted i'll give you a purple heart for your pain yeah
0: well listeners um i hope that uh based on uh what we've said today you might either uh watch the show for the first time or even go back and rewatch it um to experience it alongside us because it's a great series. So,
1: Absolutely amazing. This will be, a, I'm sure, extended-length episode because there's a lot to say. Yeah. So if you've uh, stuck with us until this point, thank you for doing that as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Where do you want to go from here? There's a... <sighs> We just finished episode three and I want to know what we're going to talk about in episode four.
1: Man. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot today because I don't know how you follow up Band of Brothers. It's, this is intense and I'm afraid that the thing that I'm going to choose next is also probably a little (laughs) intense. Um (laughs) But you know what? Who needs a change of pace? These men fought a war. We can fight our war. So. <laughs> Is it
0: Blade Runner 2049?
1: No, it's not. That movie put me
0: to sleep. Oh, That's That's well, not intense. I just need to make the same
1: stupid joke that we yeah. usually do. It's also not Black Panther. Oh. It's not a movie at all, actually. Oh. Okay. Okay. The next episode, we're going to do a book. Haven't done one of those in a little while.
0: Does it have pictures?
1: Am I going to be uh, able to get through it? No pictures. I aren't read too good. Only words. But okay. it is sci-fi, so that should help you.
0: Oh, sweet. Okay.
1: Um, and I don't think you've read it, and I am only just now finishing it. So I'll go back through and do it a reskim for our next episode but the book i would like us to read on the next episode of rez is ursula k Le Guin's the left hand of darkness what
0: ursula like the mm-hmm. the bad person from little mermaid
1: that's the yeah how you spell it oh wow
0: okay oh my
1: Do... it is a absolute Uh, staple of the sci-fi literary genre um, which I just never gotten around to reading until recently and I have been so excited by it that I'm really interested to see what you think it's one of the only prominent sci-fi works written by a female author
0: oh okay Um, so we let that happen I guess as a society I thought that only boys like sci-fi this is gross. Yeah, this is cooties. It's,
1: it's something else.
0: No, no. I've actually heard, I think, uh, you talking about this a little bit. I didn't know what the book was about at all, but you've been very excited about this. So I am consequentially excited about it. Uh, yeah. Love me some sci-fi. Let's do it. Great. Right now? You Right wanna... now, let's
1: start the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> no. You want to go to bed and I want to go to bed. And so do you, listener. I'm sure you want to go to bed. So thank you for sticking with us as we've discussed Band of Brothers. We hope to see you in the next episode when we discuss The Left Hand of Darkness. Uh, As this episode goes live, we will make sure to set up our pre-show thread on the subreddit for The Left Hand of Darkness on rescast.reddit.com. And as always, if you enjoy listening to the show, make sure you review us on whatever podcast player you listen to us on. Uh, Tell your friends about us. Get the word out. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. See you guys on the Reddit.